0: following message was given at Emmanuel Baptist Church, Coconut Creek, Florida. Well, it's good to see all of you this evening. What a joy it is to preach the Word of God to you, dear ones, once again. Well, for this evening, I invite you, please, to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 40. Psalm 40, as we come to take up the vital theme of Confident Hope in God for difficult days. Notice with me what David says picking up in verse 1 and I'll read to verse 3 in this psalm. Psalm 40 picking up in verse 1 David writes by the direction and aid of the Holy Spirit the following and says I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me And heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my steps, verse 3. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear, and will trust in the Lord. Brethren, let's once again pray. And ask the Lord's blessings upon our time. Let's pray together. Our great and glorious God, we are so thankful that we can worship you once again this evening. We thank you for the Lord's Day Sabbath, the best day of the week. Indeed, O God, as our Puritan forefathers said, it is the market day of the soul. And we thank you, Lord, for giving us your blessed word. And we're asking, O God, this evening that you would come once again with fresh power from on high. O God, that you would not leave us to ourselves, but that you would rend the heavens and speak for your servants here. O God, we pray that you would help us in our own weaknesses this evening to be attentive to your truth. We ask, O God, that your word would run and have free course among us. That it would do us good and build us up in our most holy faith, O God. And for your people, I'm asking, O God, that you would strengthen them in the inner man. That you would bless them for the days ahead. O God, come and do us good, we pray and ask all of these things. In that exalted name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. One of the greatest benefits that come to us as we read the Psalms is that they immediately connect with us in reference to our own experiences in life. The Psalms, in a very unique way, have an amazing way of greatly ministering to us especially in our time of need, and this is because they set forth the common experiences of all of God's people throughout all of the ages. Dear one, simply stated, the Psalms meet us where we are. The Psalms speak to us where we live, greatly ministering to our hearts. Well, perhaps this is why then the great, Uh, John Calvin himself said in the opening comments of his commentary on the Psalms with reference to the Psalms themselves that, quote, words cannot convey the wonders of this inspired book. Calvin said the Psalms cover the whole range of Christian emotions and infirmities. Therefore, Calvin says, I have been accustomed to calling this book the anatomy of all the parts of the soul. For there is not an emotion of which anyone can be aware of that is not represented here in the book of Psalms as in a mirror. Well, so it is with this glorious book, the book of Psalms. And as we come to this small portion of it for this evening... I trust that with the blessing of God, it will do each and every one of you much good in your lives as Christians. I mean, in light of all of the uh, various uh, hardships that many of us are experiencing in these days, I trust that as you and I come to consider David's own experience, we will learn much about our God and how he is committed to working all things together for our good, As his people. Now, as to what the particular circumstance or hardship was that David found himself going through in this psalm, to be honest, none of us know because he does not tell us. Some say that David wrote these words here in Psalm 40 as he was running from his rebellious son, and yet others say uh, that he wrote it while he was fleeing from Saul or while he was engaged with fighting against a specific sin, as he seems to highlight in verse 12 of this psalm. Well, whatever the case was, one thing that you and I can learn for sure is that in all of our sorrows, our great God is always ready and willing and able to help us. One thing that we get from this psalm and all of the psalms is this very thing, dear brothers and sisters. Yes, regardless of what the thing is, and regardless what we might be going through, regardless of what you might be going through this evening, dear brother, dear sister, the Lord Jesus Christ himself always remains faithful to us, for he is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. And so as we come then to our uh, verses for this evening to receive instruction for our lives, I ask you please to notice with me first in verse 1 of this psalm, David's statement about God, his statement about God. Look again at the words in your Bibles. He writes saying, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. Now, the opening words here in 1A are interesting, and I say this because in the original language, that is to say, the Hebrew text, there is a doubling of verbs in the Hebrew text so that the words here in 1A literally read saying, waiting, I waited for the Lord. That's a good Hebrew translation. Or we might say, hoping, I was hoping in the Lord. So you ask, Pastor Ventura, what's the point? Well, the point is, listen, although David himself was very eager for the Lord his God to intervene and to help him in the trial that he found himself in, there was nonetheless within this servant of God a spirit-wrought disposition of patience waiting I was waiting on the Lord hoping David says I was hoping in the Lord the point there was a spirit wrought disposition of patience within this servant of God now dear brothers and sisters here this evening as you know sometimes the Lord is quite pleased to answer the prayers that we make to him in times of need quite immediately. I mean, sometimes it's as if we barely get the request off our lips and the answer to our prayer comes. Ah, but as you know, uh, this is not always the case. It would be nice if this was the case, but this is not always the case. In fact. More times than not, the Lord has us wait patiently for answers from him to the prayer requests that we make to him. Now, why does he do this? Why does he make us wait patiently for him? Well, no doubt there are many reasons that could be given. However, here are some reasons. If you're taking notes, I mentioned three. Number one, so that you and I can grow in our faith toward God. Why does he make us waiting? I waited for the Lord. Why does he make us to be patient? Why does he make us wait for answers to prayer? Number one, to increase our faith toward him. As many of you know, faith is like a muscle. It needs to be exercised. So sometimes God and his sovereignty makes us wait for answers to our prayers so that our faith will grow more and more. Second, God does this so that you and I can learn to trust his promises to trust his promises. There are many promises in the word of God, of which Paul says, are all yes and amen in Christ Jesus our Lord. But God says, I want you to trust me for those promises. Thus, you're going to wait for answers to prayer so that you can trust me, so that you can believe me for great and mighty things, which you do not yet know. But thirdly, Again, if you're taking notes, God makes us wait sometimes so that you and I can become more and more sanctified throughout the whole process. Is there anyone here who needs to be more sanctified? Uh huh. Anyone here who does not need to be more sanctified? And uh, no laughing now. Uh huh. We all need to be more sanctified. So as we wait on the Lord. He, he does all kinds of things in our hearts and in our lives. God has many purposes, beloved, for making you, for making me wait for answers to prayer. He wants us to be sanctified more and more. He wants us to be conformed to that glorious image of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so you see, dear friends here this evening, God has many reasons for Delaying answers to our prayers, even in difficult times. But I'm sure that in summary, many of these reasons have to do with building Christian character in us. Building Christian character in us. For as Paul says in Romans 5 and verse 3, we glory in tribulations. You say, Paul, I'm not glorying in tribulations. Paul says we do, he says we should. And then he gives us the answer for why we are to do this when he says next, we glory in tribulations and difficulties, you name the thing, knowing, ah, that helps, knowing, Paul says, that tribulations produce perseverance, and perseverance produces what? Character. Christian character. Lord, you have a purpose in this thing. You want to root out lots of ugly things, whether it's unbelief or pride or whatever it is, oh God. And you want to make me a holier person. Well, here, as David begins this psalm, he teaches us a first vital lesson. And that first lesson is this, that in our times of difficulty, brothers and sisters, you and I must learn to wait on the Lord. Oh, who likes waiting? I don't like to wait. I'm from New York City. If the thing wasn't done yesterday or whenever it was, it's late. It's not done now. It's late. Not done yesterday, it's late. We want it now. We live in an instant society. Now, 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 now. But that's not how God works. So first lesson, what is it? In times of difficulty, in times of hardships, Some of you, no doubt, are going through those things even this night. You and I must learn to wait on the Lord. We must learn, get this down, to rest believingly, trustingly, and completely in God's sovereignty, which is what it means, biblically speaking, to wait on the Lord. And we do all of this knowing that He is in control of all things and that He, in fact, is working all things together for our good. Can anyone say amen? amen? That's Romans chapter 8. And it is interesting how people often say, oh yes, God is working all things together for our good. They love quoting it, but they missed the first three uh, words there in the beginning of the verse. Paul says, and we know that God is doing this. The problem is sometimes we don't know. We might say, and I often forget. But Paul says, and we know, Gnosko, we have an awareness that God, in fact, is doing this thing. Thus, we can rest in him. Well, this was David, who, although he waited for a good while for the Lord to answer his prayer, nonetheless, he had a godly, quiet resignation in the midst of the whole thing. You see, brethren, here, David does not say, Waiting, I complained. That would be many of us. Uh, Nor does he say, Waiting, I doubted the promises of God, and I became very frustrated with him. There's nothing more uh, frustrating to me when I hear a professed Christian say, I am frustrated with God? Oh, please don't ever say that. Don't be frustrated with God. Don't be frustrated with your master. No, the Lord our God always does good. You're frustrated with something, be frustrated with yourself, but not God. But again, David here, not waiting, I complained. That's some of us. People say, you have anything to complain about? I said, I sure do. But I won't, because Paul commanded me not to complain. Not again, waiting, I became frustrated with God and I doubted his promises. No. Rather, he says, look at the words in your Bibles. I waited patiently for him. Waiting, I was waiting for the Lord. He waited for him. Being content in his providence and his sovereignty over all things. And No doubt, David did this. Knowing that according to Isaiah chapter 40, you know the verse. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Brethren, I say, in your times of trial, wait on the Lord. Wait, wait, and wait on him to answer you. Uh, But, you know, there's another lesson here in David's words, just in the opening part of verse one. And it's a lesson concerning the whole matter of persistent prayer, persistent prayer. Now, why do I say this? Well, I do so because when David speaks here about waiting patiently for the Lord and that finally the Lord inclined to him, The idea is that as he was waiting for the Lord, he was praying repeatedly for deliverance from his current situation. You see, David here was not passive in prayer at this time. No, friends, that's not the case. Rather, he was storming the gates of heaven. He was saying with Jacob of old, Lord, I will not let you go until you bless me. And so you see, this wasn't just some... One a simple prayer-like statement where David said to the Lord, Oh, Lord, deliver me. Well, he didn't, so then he just went about his own business. No, rather, the sense in the language is that David was unrelenting in his prayer to God. He was continuous in it. Thus, here we see that David was doing what Jesus would eventually say to us in Matthew chapter 7. For there our Lord Jesus Christ says quite literally in the Greek text, Matthew chapter 7, everyone who keeps asking, present tense verb, will receive. And everyone who keeps seeking will find. And everyone who keeps knocking, Jesus said, the door will be open to him. Well, this again, dear brethren here this night, was David. And again I say he provides us an excellent example for our times of trial to the end that in them you and I will have an active faith which pursues God earnestly until deliverance comes. This is the case dear ones and so as David continued in persistent persevering prayer what eventually took place? Well We're given the answer in 1b when he writes, look at the words again in your Bibles. He says of God, here is the result, that after praying to the Lord, after believing him, he says, he inclined to me and heard my cry. The result of persistent prayer. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. Now these words here are beautiful words and in them we see that waiting on the Lord and calling on him continually for help is no foolish act. The result is God inclined his ear to his servant. You see, brethren, in God's good timing and in the way that he himself ordains, he will answer us. He, in fact, will hearken to our prayers, which is what David means when he says that the Lord heard his cry or his supplication for help. Now, when he says here in our verse in view that the Lord inclined to him, you should note that this a metaphoric language here carries the idea of God leaning toward his servant David, much like a father would lean toward his son if his son had need of him. Now, this imagery here. Again, of the father leaning over to hear his son, lovingly leaning over, bowing his ear to his son. This imagery is encouraging. And I say this because it shows us that as we see in the words of Psalm 103 and verse 13, that as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Again, there's a father-son relationship going on. David, the son of God, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He inclined to me, again, like a loving dad does to his child. Psalm 103, verse 13, As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. And why is this? Well, the psalmist tells us when he says, For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. What a kind God he is. Again, the picturesque language given to help us see what the relationship of a child of God is like with his God. And this language here shows us that despite how things might look or how things might feel or even be in our lives, the ears of our Heavenly Father are always open to our cry, brethren always open to our needs and our supplications that we make to him. Thus again, the psalmist could say in Psalm 116, verses 1 and 2, I love the Lord. And why? Well, he tells us, because he has heard my voice and my supplications. Thus the psalmist says, and because he has, quote, inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. Brethren, this is our God. and Because of who he is to us through the Lord Jesus Christ, because in fact he inclines his ear to us, I say, dear ones, let's continue to call upon him as long as we live. Call upon him, call upon him, call upon him, for he is our loving heavenly father. Well, as if all of these things weren't enough, having made his statement about God, David goes on secondly in verse 2 to speak about his deliverance by God. Look at the words with me again in your Bibles. He writes saying of the Lord, verse 2, he also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps." Now, David's language here in this verse is really quite vivid, and it shows us how serious his current situation was. Here, as he thinks about his trial, he describes it figuratively as a horrible pit, or more literally, as a pit of destruction, one which was filled with miry clay, or we might say mud of mire. And so you ask a pastor, what's the point? Well, the point is, at this time in his life, David honestly felt that his situation was so bad that he almost lost hope altogether. You see, here he's quite overwhelmed by his current circumstance, feeling, as one writer says, quote, completely helpless, being filled with darkening doubts and spiritual affliction. dear friends here this evening, long story short, David in our psalm is in a desperate situation. Whatever it was, again, whether it was a a personal sin or a family matter or some spiritual trial, etc., this servant of God was in a tough spot. And again, that's why the psalms, as Calvin said, connect with us in our lives as Christians. Uh, David felt as if he couldn't get out of this tragedy. Hence, he says, it was a horrible pit. Uh, David felt as if the ground upon which he stood was very unstable. Thus, again, he says it was like a place full of miry clay. And so I ask you here this evening, dear brothers, dear sisters, you who name the Lord, have you ever felt this way in your life? You ever felt that you were in such a difficult circumstance that it was like a horrible pit? It was so unstable. Or perhaps you didn't know where your next paycheck was coming from, or you were up all night because of a wayward son, a wayward daughter, whatever it was, whatever it is currently, maybe you felt like this. Again, the Psalms speak to us where we're at. This is David. And here again, he's describing a real-life situation. And no doubt, his experience is one which is experienced by others, being common to men. Well, in view of this, in view of what David says to us here, I believe that you and I learn another lesson from our passage. And it's this, that even though as Christians, you and I will have many days where we will rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory. As Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, nevertheless, friends, at times you and I will experience great grief of soul. That's a crucial lesson. Especially in our day when we have a false Christianity which preaches health, wealth, and prosperity. And that the Christian is to always be smiling as if nothing could ever go wrong in his life. The greatest sin in some circles is to have a bad day. Friends, when you and I read the Psalms, we see that the psalmist had many bad days. Many bad days. And so again, there is a realism here, a a biblical realism, if you will, that you and I must get. And it is that although the Christian life is the best life ever, again, joy, inexpressible, full of glory, nonetheless, at times we will have great grief of soul. And this is because the Apostle Paul tells us in Acts chapter 14 that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. That is a reality in the Christian life. Dear brothers and sisters, this is a biblical balanced perspective that we must always have before us. Simply stated, the Christian life is not always a walk in the park. For at times and for various reasons, we will have difficult days, for this is a condition of which none are exempt. Well, again, back to our passage. This was David. At this time in his life, his situation was hard. It was dark. Uh, David is feeling uh, depressed and all alone. Ah, but dear ones here this evening, having said this, blessed be God, that he says, nonetheless, the Lord brought him out of all of these things. He says that in the fullness of time, And by the freeness of his grace, with an outstretched arm, because he loved David, because of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord set David's feet on a rock and he established his steps. Now what a glorious contrast this is to what David spoke of earlier. Earlier, he's in a deep pit. He's on slippery ground. But the Lord came again by the freeness of his grace and in the fullness of his love toward him and Jesus. And he set his feet upon the rock and he established his goings. Here David says that even though what he was experiencing for a time was difficult, nevertheless his God graciously intervened thus having heard his cry again he pulls him out of the horrible pit that he was in he set his feet on the rock he established his going glory be to God this dear friends here this night is what our God does for us his people and because of it, we should greatly bless his name. Church, I say that you and I, because of this, should regularly thank our God from the depths of our being, for in the nick of time, he's always ready to minister to our needy souls as we look to him to do this for us through our lovely and living Lord Jesus Christ. And so, having seen David's statement about God and his deliverance by God, come with me now thirdly to note in verse 3 of this psalm his praise to God. His praise to God. Here as David takes us from the mire to the choir, he has one more thing to say about what God did for him and so he writes saying look at the words in your Bibles verse 3 he says that the Lord quote has put a new song in my mouth and then in describing the content of the song just in case you were curious he says it was all about praise to our God that's what the song was he says many will see it in fear or express reverence to Jehovah and they will trust in the Lord Now, I love these words here. The verse is a sermon in and of itself. And I see this because they show us, listen carefully, they show us, brethren, that when God does deliver us, we ought to greatly bless his name. We ought not to think that's charismatic or Pentecostal. No, that's biblical. Thus it should be Baptist. Thus it should be Reformed Baptist. That's us. That's what this word shows us. You see, just as God delivered Moses... And the old covenant people from the hand of Pharaoh, that when the Lord did this, Moses sung a new song to the Lord, Exodus chapter 15. And so, this is the same with David of old here. David says he sang a new song, not an old song, no, but a new one. Thus, this is why I believe that according to the Bible, Fresh deliverances by God warrant fresh praises to God. Let me say it again. Fresh deliverances by God warrant fresh praises to God. Or as Steve Lawson helpfully says in his commentary on the Psalms, quote, this new work of grace prompted a new song of praise. Now, it's interesting to note how in a 3B of our Psalm. David tells us that his praising of God for his deliverance of him would actually positively affect other people, right? I mean, he says that as he's praising the Lord for all the wonderful things that he's done for him in Christ, in delivering him, look at the language, quote, many will see it and fear, and the result will be that they themselves will trust in The Lord and so you ask what's the point well the point is listen as you and I praise our great God for all that he's done for us in Jesus God often uses this as a powerful evangelistic tool to bring the lost to Christ that's what I believe the passage is saying this dear ones is the case And in view of it, I like what Spurgeon said on this verse. He writes, quote, It's good to preach the gospel. Ah, but Spurgeon says it's better to preach and to sing the gospel. He said to his congregation, quote, I mean, if you and I in our daily lives were to sing the gospel, more and more, especially by a holy cheerfulness of character, we should bring the truth home to a great many who now turn aside from it and do not feel its power. Therefore, Spurgeon said, Sing you of Christ the Lord and tell out the love which he's had for you. He says, tell out how you have been converted and brought out of the horrible spiritual pit that you are in in the miry clay. And as you do, Spurgeon says, others will long to experience the same deliverance and so be drawn to Christ by the sweet testimony of his grace. That, brethren, is a good word for us. It's a good word for us. Tell out the wonderful things that God in Christ has done for you. Go tell, Jesus says, tell them what the Lord has done for you. And so while again, listen carefully, not at all negating that in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and our great God, we will have low points. There will be difficult days. For again, as Paul says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God nevertheless, dear ones. As we tell others about the great things that God in Christ has done for us, he can use this as a gospel instrument to bring sinners To his son for salvation. And so may this always be the case. And so, having seen for this night David's confident hope in God for difficult days, I want to begin by, begin closing by making some applications. Firstly for those of you here this evening who are the people of God. To you who are Christians. What else does our passage say to you this night? Well, there are two things, and the first is that it says that delays in answers to prayer do not necessarily mean denials from God. And then secondly, it says that in all of our deliverances in this life, and then ultimately in the life to come from hell, that all of these things are connected to one main matter, which is That Christ, in love, willingly came into this world to do the will of the Father on our behalf, which will was to die for our sins and to redeem us to himself. And because of this, we should be glad forevermore. Two applications as I begin to close for you who are the people of God. Number one, delays in answers to prayer do not necessarily mean denials from God. And sometimes we're like that. Again, as I mentioned in the outset, this wasn't just some quick prayer, oh God, please deliver me from this horrible pit. Didn't happen today, I'm done. No. Waiting, I was waiting on the Lord. Hoping, I was hoping in the Lord. And as you know, that popular saying when it comes to are praying to God, he answers in one of three ways. Yes, we like that. No, we don't typically like that. Or what? Wait, wait, wait. Be patient. There are prayers I've made to God that he answered years later. Years later. Think about the salvation of my sister-in-law, my brother's wife. And when we met her, she was a staunch Roman Catholic. You couldn't get anything in. She was Catholic, born Catholic, going to die Catholic. That's just how it goes. And my dear wife and I prayed for her over and over again for years and years and years. And it was about 15 years later, the Lord radically converted her. About three years ago, Vanessa was able to go to her baptism there in Long Island. I couldn't go because of preaching duties. But if you see her now, you see the joy of the Lord in her face. Those delays were not denials from God. He was causing our faith to be built. Trusting in his promises more readily. He was sanctifying us, his people. Brethren, wait on the Lord believingly, trustingly, confidently. Don't stop praying after one day. Oh, again, it didn't happen. Let's move on. No, lay hold of God. And don't let him go. If you've got warrant in Scripture for a thing, oh God, I will not let you go until you bless me. Don't be quick to move on. Be contemplative, as it were, when it comes to God and his workings in the world. Believe him for great things. Ask in faith. For as the writer says in Hebrews, you'll get to it in a few weeks as our brother continues to lead you through the scripture reading, he that comes to God must believe that he is and he is the rewarder of those who not just seek him, diligently seek him that's new king james i hope it's new king james i'm gonna look afterwards and find out it's another version someone's gonna say that's not new king james but i believe it is those who diligently seek him that's the kind of people we need to be that's the kind of church you need to be it's kind of christians that we need to be Those who diligently seek the Lord our God, brethren, may it always be the case. Second application. As I begin to close. Notice I didn't say as I close. Because if I say I close, then I get dinged by, you know, someone at my church. Oh, you said close four times. I'm beginning to close. It's a big preacher mistake. And it is this. Our passage tells us that all of our deliverances in life, and then ultimately in the life to come from hell, that all of these things are connected to one main matter, which is that Christ in love and the covenant of redemption came into this world willingly to do the will of the Father on our behalf, which was to die for our sins and to redeem us back to himself. And because of all these things, we should be glad. You say, Pastor V., where do you get that from this psalm? Look at the words of verse 6 and 7 and 8. After David speaks again about faith, persevering in trial, that's the uninspired heading here in my Bible. Notice verse 6, 7, and 8. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, my ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Verse 7. Then I said, behold, I come. Who's speaking? Now that would be Jesus. That's Jesus. Then behold, I said, I come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will. Oh, my God. And your law is within my heart. Why did David get temporal deliverances? Why did he get ultimate deliverances? And the ultimate deliverance from hell? The answer is because Jesus said, lo, I come. Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Let's get the New Testament commentary on the verse. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, here is the writer of Hebrews quotes our psalm psalm 40 hebrews 10 notice with me verse 4 to 7 the writer says by the direction of the holy spirit for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins of course they couldn't take them away they can only cover them so what needed to happen verse 5 therefore when he who's the he jesus when jesus came into the world he said You can see him in the covenant of redemption, speaking to his father. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body, a soma, thou hast prepared for me in burnt offering and sacrifices for sins. You had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God, brethren, and blessed be God, that Jesus fully did God's will on behalf of us, his people. Behold, I come for them, so that they could experience temporal deliverances in their lives, because it all stems from my grace. And behold, I have come for them, To do your will, O God, which was to redeem the people you gave to me in the covenant of redemption. The remnant, Christian Israel, all of God's elect, I have come to do your will, O God. Which was to live the life that they didn't live and then to die the death that they deserve to die so that they don't have to die and Take that wrath upon themselves. I died the death that they deserve to die. So that they don't have to experience that horrible death of penal, wrath-bearing, sacrificial anger. The very death that Jesus Christ experienced in our place at the cross of Calvary. Blessed be God, dear ones, that our Lord said, Lo, I come to do your will, O God. They are lost, lost in Adam, lost in themselves, but I come to do your will, which will was to redeem a people back to yourself. Brethren, this is what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And what a glorious thing it is. What a wonderful Savior he is. He came for us, his people. And so, as I close, what can I say to you here this evening who are not true Christians? Well, simply this. Listen to me, my dear friend, whoever you are. Older person, younger person, anything in between. What I need to say to you is that you need to be delivered from the very sad spiritual pit that you are currently in. And the good news of the Bible is that the Lord Jesus Christ can do that very thing this very evening. You have to understand that you are in a horrible spiritual pit. You're lost, you're bound, you're dead in your trespasses and sins and you can't free yourself. You're utterly helpless and utterly hopeless in and of yourself before God. The ground you are standing upon, spiritually speaking, is unstable ground. It is miry clay and you can't escape from it. You can't get out of your Horrible situation, but my dear friend here this evening, I'm here to tell you that there is one who can deliver you, who can get you out of that deadened state that you are in, that lost state that you are in. His name is Jesus. He's the Savior of sinners. He's the friend of sinners. He loves to save sinners. He's the one who could deliver you. You got yourself in that situation because of your own sin, because of your rebellion against God. You've gone down the broad road that leads to destruction, and now you're bound in your sin. You're a slave to your sin. And so you say, you know what, I really feel that way. So how can I be emancipated? Friends, Jesus Christ is the great emancipator. Thus, Matthew could tell us, Matthew 1 and verse 21, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And the word save simply means deliver. He shall deliver them from their sins. He shall rescue them from their sins and their sin penalty. And how does he rescue us from our sin penalty? Answer is simple, by taking that sin penalty upon himself. The very thing which Jesus did at the cross 2,000 years ago. The Bible says all who repent of their sins, that is to say turn from their sins and put their faith in his accomplishment will be saved. Whoever believes on the Lord shall be saved. So this night, my dear non-Christian friend, be saved, be delivered. Be emancipated by the great emancipator. The Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know why we who are Christians love Jesus? Because he freed us from the horrible spiritual pit that we once were in. And it was a horrible pit. It was dark, it was gloomy, it was lonely. It was full of despair and spiritual despondency. And we tried to climb out of the pit and and turn over a new leaf and get into this new spiritual whatever and that spiritual whatever. And really what we were doing is just digging ourselves deeper in this horrible spiritual pit. But then we heard the good news of a Savior who came into the world sinners to save. And We thought to ourselves, by God's grace, we're sinners. And Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is merciful to sinners. Oh, friends, he's full of mercy. He's full of compassion. The Lord Jesus is the friend of sinners. Thus, when blind Bartimaeus cried out to him, Lord, that I might see, that I might have sight, that I might be freed. It says that as he called upon Jesus, though his disciples were saying, Hush up, the master is busy. It says that upon this man who portrays, spiritually speaking, all of us by nature as blind men and women, spiritually, it says that Jesus stood still when he heard the cry coming from the man who was in desperate need of deliverance. And my friend, I can guarantee you that if you call out to Christ... As it were, he will stand still to hear from you. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus said, The one that comes to me, I will not put aside. So come to Jesus by faith this night. Be honest with him. I'm lost. I'm in a pit, Lord. I'm on unstable ground. I need you to do for me what I cannot do for myself. Oh, Lord Jesus, save my soul. Rescue me from this horrible plight that I am in because of my sins. I'm estranged from God. I'm under his wrath. I've been a rebel to him. Oh, God. Oh, Lord, redeem my soul. Because this is why you came into the world. You came sinners to save. Thus, this good news is tailor-made for my horrible situation. Dear friends here this night, you who don't know the Lord, come to Christ. And you will find him to be the friend who sticks closer than a brother. You'll find him to be the altogether lovely Savior, the good shepherd, the one who laid his life down for his sheep. Come to Jesus this evening, asking him to save your soul, to cleanse you from all of your sins, to make you right with God. Experience his mercy. Experience his love. For the Lord Jesus Christ is full of these things. Come, my dear unsaved friend, even now. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are humbled in your presence this evening, humbled for many reasons, grateful. Lord, that you delivered us from the sad spiritual condition that we were in. Humbled because we know that we, through our sins, got ourselves in that situation. We rejected you. We sought the things of this world. But grateful that even though that was the case, you sought us nonetheless. And we bless you this night, O God, that for many in this room you've made us trophies of your grace. Thus might it be that we forever bless your name. We thank you, O great Sovereign. Bless then our considerations to our hearts. Seal them to our inner man. We pray and ask all of these things. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We hope you were edified by this message. For additional sermons, as well as information on giving to the ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church and on our current building project, you can visit us online at ebcfl.org. That's ebcfl.org.